Well, hey, everyone, welcome back to another fantastic episode. Today, zooming in from Tirana, we got Mr. Michael Lombardi. Michael is a real estate investor who is doing some pretty cool stuff with burrs in and around uh, Ontario, specifically, I believe, around the Niagara region. So, Michael, welcome to the show. Great to see you. Thanks for having me, Dave. Appreciate it. Yeah. So tell us briefly, what got you into real estate? What was that spark? What was that initial interest? And what does your portfolio kind of look like? What do you guys, what do you guys do? Sure. Um, so I think I kind of, I kind of stumbled into real estate. Um, I, I, you know, a couple of years after finishing school, I was a pretty good saver, kind of moved back home. Uh, this is back in 2013, I guess. Uh, and, and within a few years, I had saved together a pretty good down payment. And I was actually looking to buy my own condo, kind of, uh, I don't know, I guess what, what you do when you have a job downtown and you're making a decent amount of money. And you, when, and you're, you when you're a young single guy, yeah, yeah. Mobile, yeah, I hear you. Sure. Get, get um, away from mom and dad. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think a condo would be appealing. That's it. Uh, and obviously, the condo is more, most affordable, quickest entry into a market. Uh, but one of the things I realized pretty quickly, and, and this is sort of back in 2015, 16 in Toronto, the market was incredibly hot. Um, and so I, you know, I kept getting outbid. I, I was nowhere close. And uh, I realized if I just moved up a small tier um, and, and gave up living in the downtown core and slightly outside, I could get a place with a couple of units, uh, live in one and rent out the other. So up front, it would be a little bit more, but that was okay. Because again, I was a good saver. Um, but over, over time, month to month, it would actually be cheaper. Hmm. Um, had no clue this was considered house hacking. Had never heard the terminology before. Right. Um, but lo and behold, you know, many, many offers and many months later, uh, I got into a property that was three units. So lived in one, rented the other two um, and did that for a number of years. And so that, that kind of began my, oh, I can supplement the mortgage with an income. Yeah. And I started thinking a little bit about the ratio between the income and the property value. And a couple of years later, I was, I thought, okay, this ratio would be much better outside the city. Why don't I go and take a look there? And right. started talking to a couple of investors. Didn't have a great network at the time. I started talking to a couple of investors and I uh, actually went to Brantford in, this would have been late 2018. Mm -hmm. And that was when I would say the portfolio began. I certainly didn't think of it as like a recurring strategy before then. I just wanted a property and that was it. Mm -hmm. um, so I got into a property that, that required some renos. I would say like started as aesthetic and grew from there. Uh, what, was it a single family home or a small multi? What, what were you focusing on? This was a duplex. Um, yeah, it was a duplex. It was, it was already cut up, but one of the units required a pretty good amount of, of reno. And, um, I actually, so when you say a duplex, do you mean like an up down type thing or a purpose built duplex up down? Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. 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 Separate entrances. Like it was done properly. The, right. the person prior to me cut this up properly. There's a ton of square footage. So it was pretty easy to do, uh, met all the specs. And so really it was just super dated and there was a little bit of damage that needed to be taken care of. So um, refreshed it. This was my first like foray into contractors and not doing any of the work myself because it was, you know, beyond my scope, yeah. um, cost way more than I originally pegged. Um, but I mean, the market in 2018 was also doing really, really well. So it kind of erases mistakes that you make. Yeah. Um, and, and to be honest with you, I had no plan to refinance until I was done all of the work and we had both units rented out at sort of market value. And, a, and an investor friend of mine said, you just spent a whole bunch of money, you could probably get a good chunk of that back. And it was when I refinanced that I thought, hmm, this seems like we could do it intentionally next time. <laughs> so you kind of stumbled into the burr. Right, 
right? Yeah. And that's when I started following some people online and, you know, seeing the acronyms and being like, wait a minute, I kind of did something like this. Um, yeah. And I thought, how, how can this- I just this didn't know what it was called. Same exactly. with the house hacking a few years before. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. So then you, you started intentionally doing that. Did you eventually go out and get some training and some education around that or, or are you largely self-taught? Yeah, I did. So I didn't do that until a couple of years after I got into um, some sort of more formal coaching, I guess, had a mentor uh, within a couple of years, had a lot of like unfamiliar or sorry, uh, unofficial, you know, mentors, folks that had done it before. My mom was a career property manager, which helped a ton, mostly with my, my confidence, you know, having tenants in the first place. She was, you know, vetting them for me, doing background checks, calling like she was, she was really the first like big member of the power team. Let's call that, it. Yeah, mom sounds like an awesome power team She's, members, especially yeah. in Ontario for for our American listeners and Canadian listeners who aren't familiar. Ontario has very very generous landlord tenant laws in favor of the tenants. So screening right. is super important. So I'm glad mom's helped helped you out with that. Totally. And I think part of it was the tactical side of things, showing me what questions to ask, what documents to ask for, and that sort of thing. And, and another side of it, which was, I would say, almost as big or, or maybe bigger, was the confidence just in, in dealing with folks. And, and you're taking on a pretty good responsibility. And I think I was a bit naive to that at the beginning. I didn't realize, okay, like this is their livelihood, right? This is a huge deal. And the stakes are high for them. And the stakes are high for me. Um, and I'm kind of glad I was naive to that. I think at the beginning a little bit. Um, might have scared you off a little bit. Yeah, it totally yeah. might have. And I see it scare off other investors to this day. So the 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 tricky part once I got comfortable doing it was letting it go when I when the portfolio got to a size where it was really difficult for me to manage the day to day and yeah. drive out to these places. And um that that was difficult because ultimately no one's gonna care about your properties at the minute level as much as you are, right? So of course. Yeah. Um, hiring it out. I went through a couple of different property managers at the beginning. I think I, I think I over managed the managers to, to begin with and eventually kind of learned what a good balancing act was. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, especially with mom in the back, back pocket there, the, it, it would be tough not to, not to be 100%. sticking your nose in there for sure. Plus it's your property. So you've got to a certain degree of you're, you're supposed to do that. Okay, cool. So you, you got started with that that accidental burr, then you started doing it more intentionally. How did you ramp things up? And and what, if you don't mind sharing, Michael, what does what the portfolio look like today? Sure. Yeah, not a problem. Um, so I've got about 15 units at this point. Uh, Between mostly, how many properties? So seven properties. Okay, uh, so they're mostly... Duplexes. Duplexes, yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Got it. And um, yeah, I think, I think after that second one, where I was like, okay, this could be intentional, the question then became... Well, the work I did was just what needed to be done at that property. I didn't buy it with the thought of like, what work adds value, mm-hmm. right? What work do people really want? And why don't I go and look for a property that requires that type of work? And subsequently, that the bank likes to see done and would give me a good appraised value for. Right. Um, so, so the reverse engineering of the end goal was really kind of after a few iterations of, of, of doing this. So um, that was when I did my first conversion where I decided, all right, we've got, you know, these properties with big basements, high ceilings, lots of space, let's throw a legal suite in them. Um, and then I started trying to meet people who had done that specifically, right. right? Um, and ask them about it. And, you know, it's, it's great to 
make mistakes and learn from them, it's even better for, you know, learn from the mistakes of others. And that was kind of my thought process uh, when I got to that point. So what was your professional background before this, Michael? What, what were you doing for work? Yeah, so I still work in operations uh, full time. I've been doing that since I graduated. Uh, I work in tech now. I've worked in telco previous to this. I worked in you know finance before that, and so I've been around, but almost entirely in operations. Which I think that was a strength of mine that I didn't realize I could leverage in real estate until yeah. I started managing a whole bunch of these properties and realizing that maybe there were some others who you know there were some inefficiencies that were. That we could take advantage of, um, and I, and I think I encourage everyone to do that now. When I find out what they do, sort of main skill, it, it's it's always shocking to me that they don't realize that they have something that others don't. Well, most of us can't see our own strengths, right? We we're we're very, especially Canadians, very tend to be very modest. We don't like to pound our own chests and whatnot. So sometimes it takes somebody else looking at you to point totally. out what your strengths are. Totally. Yeah. Awesome. So scaling up, how did you finance these properties? Would you have you and mom have really, really deep pockets or did you end up starting <laughs> to tap into joint venture partners and whatnot? Yeah, it's a big gold mine sitting around. <laughs> nice. No, so, yeah. So at the beginning, so first one was mine. Um actually had my my mom help co-sign, which was which is it was incredible to think, given what the market is doing now and like thinking back to the time. Qualifying was just generally much easier on the sure. uh, The ratios were much better. And I certainly, you know, if you fast forwarded even three or four years from the time I first bought, wouldn't have qualified for the same property um, with, you know, without more salary. But in any case, she, she certainly co-signed with me and she saw the vision of like, okay, he'll be able to carry the mortgage and then some with these renters. Um, the following property was mine, but I think what really helped me to keep my portfolio solo for a while, again, with the, I, I certainly wouldn't consider that first one solo, um, was, was I refinanced the Toronto property at the beginning and I didn't pull out capital. I, I basically created a massive HELOC yeah. and that HELOC had been utilized for renovations following that. So I certainly wasn't doing these like perfect burrs, pull out the renovation money, pull out the down payment, nothing like that. Um, the only time I pulled out all the money on a property was after a second refinance uh, mm -hmm. years after that. But um, yeah, I, I basically, the first five properties were solo. And then- Because you were able to tap into the HELOC that you had on your, your triplex in the GTA, which right. had just gone up like crazy in value over those years. So you, you built up, well, you have a big chunk of equity, turn that into a, a HELOC. Then you would pull that out. You'd pull out the chunk that you needed for down payment and renovations, or were they financing the renovations? You just really mostly just renovations. Yeah. I, I was trying to put down as much of a down payment, just being cash as possible. Yeah. Because I, I always assumed, okay, I can probably get out the rental money. Anything beyond that is kind of gravy. Um, and I think right. when you recycle it, right, right. And I think when you bet on more than that, it starts to become a little bit too risky for my thought. Um, but yeah, that that was essentially how I self financed for a long time was was utilizing that big line of credit to do the yeah. renovations. I pull that money back, pay back the line of credit. That line of credit went up and down about. Oh, okay. You know, well, then, question then: How did you come up with the money for the down payments? Was that just save, 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 or or what were you using for down payments? I was a pretty solid saver, and then. You know, you can't forget the fact that I was this entire time living in a property that was being house hacked. So my 
biggest expense, which was living was, was pretty minimal. Um, which like, you know, you don't realize how much that adds to your savings account until you're able to execute it. And I didn't, I didn't really understand it until I started tracking these things really closely monthly and realizing, oh man, like if I was living next door to me and renting, this would be a whole different ball game and coming up with these down payments would be significantly more difficult. Interesting. No, that's a, that's a great big light bulb moment. And I mean, you, you must've compared notes to some of your friends who aren't into real estate and just seeing the, the huge impact, especially living in a city like Toronto, just the, the cost of rent, the cost of a mortgage, all of that kind of stuff is huge. So the fact that you are living virtually rent-free or, or completely Close. minimal. Close. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, that's a huge, huge difference. Okay, cool. So the combination of saving up, tapping into your equity in, in that property for renovations, recycling most, if not all of the, the renovation money, and sometimes a little bit extra. That's what got you into the next ones. Now, were you able to self-finance all of your properties or, or have you done some of them with investors? No. So the first one that I did was, so I've done two with partners. Um, the first one that I did with a partner, to be honest, I was, I was ready to do that one myself. Um, I, I had the property locked up. I, I didn't have it locked up with an ability to change the name because that wasn't really the thought. Yeah. Um, and I was talking to another really close investor friend of mine who'd been a couple of years older than me, he'd been doing it for a little longer. He's honestly one of the mentors that really I was learning from. Mm-hmm. And he had just had a baby, he had just opened up a business practice, and he was just like getting to the end of his, you know, he, he was time constrained. And he saw this deal and understood it with me and walked me through it. And we almost both at the same time were like, hey, you want to do this together? Nice. Um, it, it was super organic and it was somebody who I I I trust greatly to this day. We're partners. I, I still trust him really well. And so I, it wasn't, I think, a little bit more typical. Like, all right, I'm at the end of my capital. I need somebody. Let's go out and raise money. Yeah. Um, so so that one. It, it was a nice to have, not a need to have kind of situation. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, and I think he appreciates that as well. And so what, what roles do each one of you have? Because it sounds like you're both very experienced. Is there an active partner, a passive partner, they both put in money, one person put in money. How did, how did that work? Yeah. Yeah. So we both put funds in, um, but I, but I'm certainly the active partner and he's certainly the passive partner. Um, and that's accounted for. We have, we have a great agreement. And to be honest with you, like we haven't really looked at the agreement since um, because it, it had done well, both the market, the execution, it had cash flowed. Um, it was the, it was the biggest project I had done at the time. It was actually a single family to a triplex. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so, so I was a little bit also flexing outside of my comfort zone in terms of learning it was the most expensive project I'd taken on. Um, but again, he had done similar projects before. So I wouldn't quite say I was 100% active and he was 100% passive. Yeah. There was certainly a mix there. Um, and and there, there still is to this day. But, um, but yeah, I think I did most of the, most of the heavy yes. lifting. So that was the first partner type. Have you done an, another one since then? Yeah, I've done one since then. And and to be honest, I, I'm always, I, still to this day, I, I'm pretty torn on like if the long-term strategy is with partners or if it's solo. Uh, I've seen people go in both directions for a litany of reasons we can talk about. But um, the one other one that I've done since was actually right around the corner from that one. Um, this is in this is in Welland. And uh, it was a similar triplex conversion. I kind of knew like the power team was very solid by that point. 
Yeah. I knew everything that was going to happen. The only thing I didn't know were the general unknowns that come with doing a project. Um, but I had like the financing team in place. I had the legal team in place, the accounting, everything is, I, I felt really confident by that point. And so taking on a second partner, um, just, you know, felt, felt okay to do yeah. with, with the expectation in my mind that, okay, if I find a really good deal and I can't find a partner or this partner's not willing, I can do it myself. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's a perfect position to be in because quite frankly, like if we had super deep pockets and we had the ability to, yeah, it, it is better to do deals on your own without partners. You don't have to answer to anybody. You don't have to divvy things up. It's, it's, it's growing your portfolio. I think where partners definitely come into play is when you simply can't do that, right? When you, or you want to get into bigger deals or you want to get into a larger volume of deals, then yeah, you're going to have to bring on partners because sooner or later, bam, you hit the wall, you run out of cash, you run out of credit, you run out of qualifying room there. Um, especially with these smaller type properties. So that's where people typically start totally. looking for, for partners. So what are your plans for the next couple of years, Michael? Where do you see things going for you? Yeah, so, I mean, I think like a lot of other investors, I was kind of on pause for a little bit. Uh, we were executing a few projects that I think if the market was, you know, what it was 18 months ago, let's call it. We were kind of like executing and looking. Um, and so I've, I've kind of stopped for a little bit, uh, really, really focused on cranking up the efficiencies within the management. Uh, obviously cash flow has taken quite a beating for, for most investors in the last little bit. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I was pretty lucky a long time ago to lock in a couple of mortgages that I, I honestly just did it because of the time. The only thing I realized was that I had never seen any high rates or even average rates, right? Like I got in in 2015, 16 and, you know, it was like, it, it seems like a lifetime ago now that rates were what they are even today previously. Yeah. And with my primary residence slash, you know, um, I guess I was house hacked. I locked that one in and, and honestly, had I not done that, I probably would have just really hampered myself from continuing to grow mm -hmm. early on. And so I think right now, sorry, to answer, to kind of get back to your question and answer that, um, I will be looking again I don't know when necessarily because I do think there's a lot of great deals out there. Yeah. Um, but I'm not I'm not a hundred percent confident that the market and the strategy that I was using that was making me successful before is still going to be the case going forward. And so that's what I'm spending a lot of time revisiting and trying to understand. Like maybe I target turnkey stuff, maybe I do a little bit more aesthetic, a little bit less work. Like the ARV is really what the big question mark is um, right. for a lot of projects right now. And I'm certainly not, you know, alone thinking that, but uh, yeah, I think it's revisiting market and revisiting strategy and, and just not being in a rush. I think that's when you make mistakes is when you're just in a rush to get the next one. Yeah, definitely. I was interviewing somebody um, a week or so ago and, and they're doing something pretty interesting and that is they're they're looking at kind of like what you're doing, but how to really crank up the density, right? Mm -hmm. So, for example, this this gentleman is purchasing purchasing small smallish type student rental properties. So he bought one that had sixteen units in it, 
each unit had two bedrooms. So they're actually renting them out by the room, right? Because it's student student yeah. housing. So 32 sources of income coming in from this, this property. So what he did was it, they, they were pretty large units. So he actually turned them from two bedrooms into three bedrooms, kept the price, the rental price about the same, but now had 16 additional units on that same property. Right. So, I mean, that, that just... And that that's his whole focus is looking at, okay, how can we add density? Because it's the same problem, right? So, yeah. so with the kind of properties that you're doing, you know, going from single family home to triplex, that's awesome. If you could also, depending on the municipality, add on a garden suite or a garage suite or whatever that is to that, that's where the numbers start uh, yeah. making more sense again sometimes. Well, that, that first triplex conversion I did, that wasn't the original goal. I walked into that with the numbers in my mind that this was going to be a duplex. And during the walkthrough, um, it's actually a combination of my agent and my inspector who come with me to anything that seems very serious and, and uh, kind of like poked his head upstairs and goes, I think, look where the entrance is here. Like we, like, I think that's what you get better at as an investor over time is when you walk in gaming out where things could be, where the entrance is, where the exit is where the egress window goes or all of these things. And he was more creative than I was. And, and we kind of both looked at my inspector together and he's like, yeah, I think, I think we could do that. And, and, and it changed everything. Not certainly not that I was going to walk away from the deal otherwise, but it certainly changed how valuable it could end up being irrespective of what happened with the market. Mm -hmm. um, and it also opened up a new opportunity in my mind to target properties with this express intent. Right. Right, like, can you add density? Re really, is, is the question, and is the density worth the capital investment over time? Exactly. Yeah. Another cool gentleman doing, say, also in Ontario, doing something really cool around Ottawa, is turning properties into kind of deluxe rooming houses. So, kind of the same idea as the student rental, but not just going after students. So, this guy basically turned a single family home into a yeah 10 wow. <laughs> 10 rooms within this this house shared kitchen and stuff but really smart because yeah. he would put in a refrigerator and a microwave in each room decked them out really nice put up in each room a 54 inch tv ultimate man cave type thing and the 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 rent he's getting per room because and here's the other thing because it's a rooming house situation he's not under the same rules as the landlord tenancy rules right. of ontario which is so it's more like the hotel rules totally. so he can evict people like that if if needed right it's it's huge so because of that he's not as picky about credit reports and all this kind of stuff. Bottom line is he's getting the same kind of rent for a room that other people are getting for one bedroom apartment. Right. Mind boggling. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's this thinking outside of the box kind of stuff makes such a huge difference. Yeah. It's, it's wild. And I think you can get creative and a lot, like there's a huge incentive to get creative right now, obviously with, with cash flow being squeezed. And so you're a lot, you're seeing a lot of these ideas come to fruition. 
Um, I, I think I kind of made, and I never say never, but a, a while ago made the decision that I, I didn't think that student rentals or, or rooming houses or anything that was rent by the room was really for me. Uh, with the exception of maybe Airbnb, which I had no experience with at the time, but I, I just know that it comes with its own set of challenges, yeah, right? For sure. And everything and the does. Upside, yeah. The upside certainly is is the cash flow, right? But I mean, I remember being a student, and not necessarily that all students are like we were, but I wouldn't have liked to be our landlord. <laughs> you know, there were, there were seven of us squished into like a five bedroom house, and there was a makeshift addition, and it, it yeah. just like. You know, not not that every again, not all students are the same. Uh, and I I know some landlords who have student rentals that are absolutely phenomenal. Uh, it it just isn't the type of management that I want. Right, you're looking for a much. You want a a longer term tenant in there that's pretty much totally. headache free. You can set it and forget it type thing. Ideally, yeah, I I've, uh, I've, I have some excellent tenants, and I think some of that is vetting, some of it is luck. Uh, some of it is just the relationships that we have. Quite honestly, uh, like handing over the keys to a few property managers during a time when I had solid relationships with a few tenants was was kind of tough. I was like, why am I doing this? this what, what do I need to do this for? Yeah. Right. So, so yeah, that would have been a big transition. So have you handed over management of all of your properties to a property manager? Pretty well. Uh, yeah, 90% with the exception of uh, the place that I had originally house hacked. You know those right. tenants pretty really well. Um but, and I'm also in Toronto, so it's super easy for me. Um, but Are you but, still living in that one? Yes. Oh, perfect. Yeah, exactly. No, that, that makes sense. Well, that is awesome, Michael. Well, congratulations on, on everything that you've done. You've done a hell of a lot under your own steam. And now you've got a couple of joint venture deals under your belt. And you're kind of on a pause mode right now, just to kind of see what's happening with the market. And if, if you want to keep doing what you're doing, or if you need to, quote unquote, pivot to something uh, slightly different. Um, but I'm, I'm sure whichever way you go, you're, you're going to continue to see fantastic success. So if people want to connect with you or find out more about what you're up to, what can they do? Uh, yeah, I think I'm, I'm mostly on Instagram. Certain capital is, is the handle. Uh, I'm decently active, I think. I don't know. I'm really trying to do this whole online presence thing. And like, it's not natural to me, but I'm doing my best. <laughs> I'm getting some help. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, certain capital is, is the Instagram handle. Fantastic. All right, Michael. Well, thanks so much. This has been a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. All right. All right, everybody. Take care. And we'll talk to you on the next episode.